My name's Dan. If we haven't met, I'm the pastor here. And of course, it is New Year's Eve once again, 31st of December. It's not often that we get to sort of gather on the last day of the year, is it? Uh, but of course, tomorrow we will see more joggers along Gosford Waterfront and we will see uh, more shopping carts that are full of veggies rather than junk food and we'll see fewer people glued to their phones in bed, myself included. It is the time for New Year's resolutions, of course. Uh, and Christians tend to set resolutions as well. I wonder if you have done so. Uh, things like reading the Bible. Uh, maybe you've set a resolution like, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Uh, or something like with prayer, uh, I'm going to pray as much as I can this year. Uh, I'm going to pray half an hour every single day. Uh, or things like, I'm going to finally overcome this sin in my life that has been dogging me for so long. I, I want 2024 to look different in my Christian growth compared to 2023. Now, I'm going to give you the 30-second version of the classic New Year's sermon. Okay, So this is what we might hear most years at a church. Point one, New Year's resolutions don't work. We know that within a couple of weeks, the jogging gear is going to be in the back of the cupboard and the junk food is going to be back in the pantry and, uh, and you know, the, um, the, the phones, we're going to be back on the phones all the time in bed. Uh, we might make it, if we're reading the Bible, we might make it to partway through Genesis <laughs> or we might even make it, if we're really good, to the end of Leviticus, probably more the beginning of Leviticus and then we're going to cop out. This is just what happens, right? New Year's resolutions don't tend to work. We'll be back to our old habits soon enough. So point two, it doesn't matter what we do, right? If our resolutions are going to fail, it doesn't matter what we do. After all, we aren't defined by what we do, are we? We're not defined by our fitness levels or our waistline or our sense of discipline or our productivity or how good we've been at reading the Bible or how faithful we've been in prayer. We're not defined by what we do. We're defined by what Jesus did, for us at the cross. So it doesn't matter what we do, it's about what Christ has done, which means point three, stop doing more, start believing more. Don't set resolutions, instead resolve to look to Christ in faith this year. So there you go, done and dusted, I guess we can, we can finish. <laughs> Except of course there's a, a problem with that sermon. Uh, actually there's lots that's right about it, isn't there? New Year's resolutions do tend to fail. And, uh, of course, life and identity is not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done. That's what the gospel reshapes in us. But there is a big problem. Um, is it right to say it doesn't matter what we do? Have we got the, the PowerPoint, Nige? Is that happening? Here we go. It doesn't matter what we do. Is that right to say? Is, is it right to say that it's pointless to set any kind of resolution in life? Is it right to say that God doesn't care how we live? Well, you put it that way and you go, well, of course, that's, that's silly, isn't it? Of course God cares how we live. And so today we're going to hear a different sermon about resolutions. We're actually going to hear a defense of resolutions. The Bible has much to say about what we do and how we live. And really, uh, I mean, we, we're going to look less at the fitness, the diet, the phone addiction, those things are important, okay? Those are the things of life and God cares about those. I want us to look more though at um, living as a Christian. How do I grow as a Christian? Should I set resolutions about growing as a Christian? 
which really taps into the much bigger question. It's not just how can resolutions be good, how could these be a good thing, but also how can I grow? What does it look like in the next year? What is the key in the next year to put sin to death, to grow in maturity, to get better at things like Bible reading and prayer, to grow closer to God? Because I don't want 2024 just to look the same as 2023, even if 2023 was pretty good in terms of my growth in Jesus, right? I want to keep going. It's sort of like the Christian walk is like climbing a mountain, okay? It's, It's steep and Uh, If you're not going up, you're sliding back down and you're in danger of the rocks and rifts below that that threaten to dash your faith to pieces. Okay, we want to keep going up. We want to keep growing. What is the key? How can I experience lasting change as a Christian? That's the bigger question that we're dealing with here. And if you are new to church or you're new to the things of Jesus, then uh, this will be really helpful for you as well because if you're thinking about following Jesus, then you want to know kind of what you're signing up for, right? Like, what is life going to look like? Before I married my wife and put on this ring, we dated each other for a period of time. We we sort of scoped it out. What is life going to look like? So this is helpful for you as well if you're not a Christian. But we desperately need to hear from God through his word on this topic, don't we? We need to be shaped by him. And so let's pray, and then let's open our Bibles. Lord, as we think about these big questions of how we live, what we do, uh, who we are, uh, what this next year brings then please, Lord, we we ask you to uh, expose what's happening in us, to lay our hearts bare, as you only can do, uh, to um, uncover what's going on in our minds, uh, to make it clear to us, Lord, in the, the way that you do as the good, holy, merciful God that you are. Lord, we submit ourselves to the Spirit's work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, Daisy's gone, isn't she? So this was going to be a kid's question. Let's just make it an adult's question instead. Let's say that you're going to work on your garden, you're going to grow a plant. Um, what do you need in order to grow a plant? Well, here's what our garden looks like. Uh, you can see up the top there's a dead weed. You can see down the bottom there's a living weed. So we're growing something. <laughs> and, um, and Jack and Lauren were visiting them the other day. They gave us a chili plant. I don't know what our chances are. I hope it survives. <laughs> but let's say that we wanted to grow something from scratch. What do we need? Do we need seeds or water? Ah, yeah, both. That's right. You guys aren't kids, so you get it straight away. <laughs> that's right. Seeds and water both are required. And, and there's, there's, I mean, that's the problem for us. We put the seeds in. We just don't water the darn things. So we need both in order to grow a plant. And growing as a Christian, of course, is much the same. Uh, Consider this. We can't think our way to change. We can't merely think our way to change. Uh, If you go, if someone goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, they will hear a very famous slogan by now, which is that your best thinking got you here. We can't just think our way to change. Now, what we think, what we believe, really, really, really matters. Who is Jesus? What has Jesus done for us? What is the gospel? What is the significance of the cross? What is sin? We need good answers to those questions. What we think really, really matters. What we think, our doctrine, is is like the seeds. Without the seeds, you have no plant. But the seeds alone don't bring growth. You also need to water the seeds for it to grow. And the way that scripture talks about the water is it's what we do. 
It's how we live. It builds upon what we think, what we believe. Our resolve to make decisions and carry them out is essential, just like the water is for the plant, which leads us to our first point. What we do matters. What we do matters. Open with me to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, if you're using a church Bible, we're on page 984. Um, Colossians 3 verse 1 will come in at, uh, we're going to start here, we're going to camp out a bit more in Romans 12, but you'll see why we're starting here as we go. So Colossians 3, it's on page 984, verse 1, and you may notice here that Paul begins with a question. Do you see the question mark? No, there's, there's no question mark there, but it is a question. Have a look at how he phrases this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Do you, do you hear the question there? Yeah, it's, it's that conditional statement, if then you have been raised. It's, it's, have you been raised with Christ? See, he's going to set up this whole thing where, where we're going to be taken through these truths of the Christian life. But if you're going to travel with the rest of the passage, you need to be on the plane, he's saying. Are you on the plane? Have you been raised up with Christ? And these are the questions, right? Um, are you currently trusting in Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin? Looking to nothing else, looking to no one else, but trusting in Jesus alone to forgive you for all the times that you and I haven't resolved to do what God commands. In fact, all the times when we've resolved to do the opposite of what God commands. Are you looking to Jesus for forgiveness? Because according to verse 6 here, uh, that, that because of um, our earthly desires and our earthly actions, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and so on, uh, idolatry, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. Hell is coming. But Jesus on the cross turns aside God's wrath. He takes it for us. The sinless one for sinners like us. This is an incredible thing. But he doesn't stay dead on the cross, does he? He rises again on the third day and he promises that all those who look to him in faith will be raised with him. It's like getting onto the plane. Here's your ticket. By faith in Jesus, you are raised with him. You are in him. And what that means is you are raised to life with a new identity, a new self. And so here's the question. Is that you? currently trusting in Jesus, have you been raised with him? Are you on the plane? If so, here's where the plane is taking us. Verse 1, if you've been raised with Christ, if you're on the plane, then what? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you're saved, seek Seek. Seek Jesus. Seek his kingdom, his rule in your life. Seek for your desires to match his desires. Seek for the way you live to begin to look more like the way Christ lived. Seek the things of heaven, not merely the things of earth. And note that this isn't just about what we think. It's about what we do. 
And so verse 2, Paul moves on and he says, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Thinking matters, but first comes seeking. Seek the kingdom, then set your mind. What we do matters. So put it another way, when we get the gospel, when we understand, grip, believe, trust in the gospel of Jesus, when we get the gospel, the gospel gets us. When we get the gospel, the gospel gets us. We begin to live a different life, seeking different things, doing different things. Are you with me? You understand that connection? Uh, in verse 5, Paul even says that the old way of life has to be put to death. It doesn't get much stronger than that, does it? Kill it. Dig a deep grave. Bury it. And to move on from that serious point with an even more serious point, he then builds and gives us some fashion advice. Wait, hold on. That's actually true. Have a look, verse 9. Right? Don't lie to one another. There's the old life. Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, the language there of putting off and putting on, you can't see it in English, but in the original Greek in which the New Testament was written, has to do with clothes. Put off these clothes, put on these clothes. It's a bit like this. He says, take off the old dirty shirt of your old life, of sinful living, of, of living for yourself. And instead, wear the clothing that now fits your status as a forgiven child of God. It's not wearing the clothing that saves you. You've already been saved if you trust in Jesus. You're on the plane, right? Uh, but, but wear the clothing that now fits your new status. If you used to live in Sydney and support Sydney FC, right? Take off that jersey because you live on the coast now. You've moved somewhere better. <laughs> Put on the Mariners jersey, <laughs> especially tonight as they're playing, <laughs> right? You, you get the point. You've moved from one place to another, so put the clothes that fit the new life. That's what Paul is saying. So for someone in Christ, you, you put on a whole range of new practices. Verse 12, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You've been saved, right? So now wear the clothes. Wear the clothes of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and, and love that binds them all together. What we do matters. It's an extension of who we are in Christ. That's why when Jesus tells parables, his point often is that we must do God's will. Build your life on the rock, not on the sand. Now, who's the one that builds his life on the rock? I'll show you. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and what? does them, <laughs> not merely thinks about them, but does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. Think about the parable of the sower. It talks about four different kinds of soil and the, the plant that grows from them. Who, is, uh, who has the heart like the good soil from which a fruitful and flourishing tree grows? Luke 8, 15. Who is the real Christian, in other words? As for that in the good soil, those, uh, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast, which is a metaphor for doing what it says in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. There is a result in their life, you see. Now, the person who says it doesn't matter what we do has therefore missed a crucial biblical truth. 
they've actually gotten sucked into an ancient heresy called antinomianism. Um, nomos, antinomos, nomos is the Greek word for law. Antinomianism is anti-law, anti-doing. And what it is, is saying, well, I've got my ticket on the plane, right? I'm headed for heaven. And so now that I'm on the plane and I'm safe, I can do whatever I want, okay? I can trash the seats. I can go and pull the pilot's ears. I can go and do whatever I want because God will forgive me. I'm safe on the plane, right? It doesn't matter what we do because God's forgiveness is always there. Uh, it's a heresy. It's called antinomianism. I'm saved. I've got my ticket to heaven. I've no, no. Because um, it's true that the law doesn't save us. That's true. That, that, in that sense, anti-law is right. But, but we're not... Jesus cares very much about what his people do and, and how we live. He, he wants us to put off the old life. He wants us to then uh, adopt actions that befit the new life we have in Christ. So what does that mean for setting resolutions? What does that mean as we think about how to grow as a Christian in 2024? Well, that brings us to our second point. Our habits matter. Not just our individual actions but the way that those actions sort of add up, building block on building block, and, and form who we are and how we live. Our habits matter. I'm going to show you a picture. I want you to tell me what this is a picture of. You got it? I'll give you a clue. It starts with B. That's right. The basal ganglia. You got it. Good. <laughs> <laughs> the basal ganglia. Now, I don't blame you. I've learnt this this week as well. <laughs> um, now, th this is a part of the brain. You can see it there right in the centre. Uh, that has to do with translating our actions into routines and habits. Okay? It sort of takes the things that we do over and over and over and like, sort of, sort of encodes them deeper in our psyche. And uh, there's a book called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. Has anyone read that book? Uh, helpful little book, um, secular book, but it's, it's about um, really uh, how do our habits form who we are and how do we set good habits. That's really what the book is about. He has one little story about a guy called Eugene um, who fascinated scientists for a good little while. Now, uh, Eugene received, uh, he, he, um, he, uh, he got a disease that ended up affecting his temporal lobe so that's the other parts of the brain that have to do with forming memories and accessing memories. Uh, the disease hit this. It's normally a sort of disease that just causes cold sores or gives you a cough, but because it got in his brain, it basically destroyed his ability to access any of his memories from uh, after about 1960. This was in the 90s. And, and also, he couldn't form any new memories. Right, imagine that. Imagine living that way. Now, he could still walk, he could still talk, he could still write, he could still draw. He could talk about some of his favourite things that, that he used to do as a kid and some of his work that he used to do on satellites. Uh, but forming and accessing new memories just didn't work. Interesting thing, though. He would still do a walk around his neighbourhood every morning. And he'd walk around all the spots that he used to all across his life. Wouldn't get lost. Wouldn't second-guess himself. One time a friend joined him on this walk because it's like, how does this work? I just want to see how this guy gets around. So he gets, yep, he's fine, he's doing his thing, he's crossing the road, he's looking for cars, all that sort of stuff. Uh, they meet a stranger at one point on the walk and the stranger, you know, sort of, they get talking and, and the stranger asks him, hey, Eugene, where do you live? And he goes, oh, I've got no idea. 
only to walk up the next driveway and unlock the door and walk into his house. (laughs) How did he know where to walk and how to walk safely and even where he lived without really knowing how to do any of those things? How did that work? Well, because even though his temporal lobe was, was destroyed, his little friend, the basal ganglia, was still totally fine. And so these habits that he'd built up over a lifetime still were in his brain and he could still sort of run him, his brain could run him through his habits. What we do matters, friends. (laughs) Especially because what we do over and over becomes routines and those routines become habits. They're kind of burnt into our brain. They form new neural pathways. They get encoded. It becomes like a second nature to us, like muscle memory. And God has actually designed our brains and our bodies this way for a good reason. If we could go back one, sorry, Nigel, I just hit the thing the wrong time. Um, I, I mean, just, just imagine for a moment, here's the basal ganglia, the way it works, and it encodes our, our habits. Um, imagine if you didn't have one of these, okay? And all you could do was the things you were learning right in that moment. Imagine getting out of bed in the morning, having to move every little muscle and tell every little thing in your body to move. Our, our newborn Zoe, she's learning to move her head at the moment, like from we put her on her tummy and she moves like this from one side to the other, right? So imagine having to do that every single day of your life, anytime you wanted to, to look from the right to the left. <laughs> or imagine if your drive to work, which for most of us is on autopilot, right? Imagine if it was like your first day on your L plates every single day. That's what life would be like without one of these things. And so God has designed our brains fantastically <laughs> so that we can, we can do things and learn things and they become autopilot. And we can think new things and learn new things instead. Uh, now, it's also a little scary, isn't it? Like, do you find it a little scary <laughs> that the things that we do can get burnt into our brain and encoded and become muscle memory? These things become automatic. And it's so scary, I think, because we live in an, ad- an addictive society, right? Uh, think about the smartphone in your pocket. Think about the streaming catalogue on your TV, the relentless advertising that bombards us over and over the consumeristic mecca that is Erin Affair or Amazon.com.au, right? All of these things are, are inviting us to do things that become routines, that become habits. Uh, these, these different um, sources in our society are trying to shape our choices into habits so that we scroll, buy, consume, believe more or less without thinking. That's why this is so scary. That's why our habits matter. And so God, the one who made our brains to form habits, commands us to be intentional about what we let become habit. This is where our resolutions come in. Come with me to Romans chapter 12. I'm going there with my new Bible reading bookmark, by the way, so there's a bit of advertising for you. So Romans 12, it's on page 947 if you're using the church Bibles. We're just going to look at the first two verses. Now, Paul has spent 11 chapters of this book, 11 chapters going through really how much we need Jesus. How much we need Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need Jesus. That is the mercy of God to save undeserving sinners. 
And then here in chapter 12, verse 1, he makes an appeal to those who are on the plane who've received God's mercy. Here's the appeal. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Notice the command here. On the basis of God's mercy to you, what do we do in response? We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, not to replace the sacrifice of Jesus, that's impossible, right? Um, but, but in response to his sacrifice, we turn our lives over to him, every part of them. That's what it is, to be a living sacrifice. But that's not just a one and done thing, is it? It's not like you become a Christian, you present your body to, to Jesus as a living sacrifice, ah, oh, great, I'm done. No, T take a look at the word before sacrifice there. What word is it? Living. Living. We are a living sacrifice. If you are alive in Christ, you've been raised to life with Christ, and you've been made holy and acceptable to God, those three words go together there, living, holy, acceptable, then your whole life belongs to him, doesn't it? Your whole life. We are a living sacrifice. And this has to do with everyday living. The life that we have in our bodies, the things that we do, the habits that we form. And consider that idea of offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer our hands and our feet and our eyes and our ears and our temporal lobes and our basal ganglias. Every part of us, the things we do every day, belongs to God. All of it. That's why in Luke chapter 9, Jesus calls us to take up our cross. How often? Once. For one day? No. Daily. That's right. Take up your cross daily. Live sacrificially each and every day. It's not, you see, about just individual actions, but about how they add up into habits each and every day. It's one thing to show patience to a difficult person in a difficult situation. It's another to keep showing patience over and over and over and over when those things are just really ticking you off. But when you do, you become a patient person by the power of the Holy Spirit working in you, right? Not just showing patience, but becoming patient. It's one thing to tell the truth. It's another to tell the truth so much that you become an honest person. It's one thing to pray. It's another to be prayerful. It's one thing to read your Bible. It's another to be immersed, shaped in Scripture, you see. And so God owns our habits, and those habits form who I am. And what that means in verse 2 is that I'm conforming less to this world and its invitations to scroll, consume, buy, believe without thinking. I'm conforming less to that, and I am being transformed by the renewal of my mind to become someone new. I'm taking off the old clothes, I'm putting on the new clothes, and I'm going on wearing them. Not just individual actions, but the thing of wearing our habits, who we are. And this is why, as we think about resolutions, this is why resolving to do certain things in the Christian life really, really matters. Because what we resolve to do and then do over and over becomes habits, and our habits form who we are. That's why it matters. But there is a problem here. <laughs> because, you know, if we set up a... Uh, you seen the Truman Show? If we set up like a, a Truman Show style thing in, in your life 
or if we made your home like Big Brother and put cameras everywhere except the bathroom and, and we sort of looked at, at what does a normal day look like for you and I, uh, what, what would we see? As we think about the habits that we form, what would come up on the screen? And what would people watching think about you and think about me? How many of our habits would be bringing glory to God? How many of our habits would be doing the exact opposite? What do people see about who you are? Especially when you have a choice about what you do. If you've got an ounce of self-awareness, then like me, you probably realise there is so much room to grow, isn't there? You can be a Christian for 80, 90 years and still have so much room to grow. So much still to repent of, to, to chuck a Yui and take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes again. So much still uh, of a gap between what we know and what actually translates into real life. Still so much of a gap between Sunday morning and Monday morning. And that's all of us. I think actually the more you mature as a Christian, the more you realise that there's room to grow. Now, my friend has a seven-year-old son. And for some reason, he's decided recently that pants are optional inside the house. Okay? And so she, she has obviously, as a good parent, been trying to address that. That's a problem. <laughs> if that translates into public, big problem. Uh, and so, you know, mum has confronted him about it. Buddy, you need to keep your pants on. He pushes the pants away, and this is what he says, I kid you not, this is how I live my life. <laughs> Which I just think is, is funny. I, I would want to laugh at that as a parent and be like, ah, that's great, but you've got to keep a straight face, don't you? No. Uh, now, here's the thing. We know the clothes that God wants us to wear, don't we? We know the habits that he wants us to, to keep going forward in. We know. We know them. He wants us to put on patience and compassion and meditating on Scripture and so on. He commands us to put, put the clothes on and wear them as daily habits. But like the seven-year-old, we're just really bad at keeping our pants on. We are. Why is that? Have you thought about that? Why is it? It's because of something very deep inside us, actually. And this is where a lot of the secular books around habits and para habits and all that sort of stuff, atomic habits, that's where it gets, it misses the real nature of the problem for us. It's something very deep because our, our problem of, of what we do and the habits that we form is actually a worship problem. It's a problem with what we long for and dream about and imagine about and desire and ultimately love in life. Come with me again, Romans 12, verse 1. We present ourselves to God our bodies, our actions, our habits, our whole selves. When we do so, it is spiritual worship. All of ourselves turned over in worship to our merciful God. We all worship something, don't we? We all live for something or someone. The thing we believe makes for the good life or gives us what we need, or will make us truly happy. That's what we worship. It's what we, we sort of imagine like a, an archer with an arrow. Like, here's what I'm aiming for, okay? Here's the thing that my life is about. I'm aiming for that thing. And, and what happens then is our actions and our habits and who we are follows what we're aiming for. It's like the arrow that, that shoots out. Adam and Eve, for example, in the garden, they desired the fruit, Right? That's what they longed for, but not just because it, it would satisfy their bellies. It's because the serpent told them, you'll become like God if you eat this fruit. 
You'll be the ones that get to make up the rules. You'll be the ones in charge. And so they think about that and they go, that sounds great. That's the good life. That's what I want to do. And so buoyed by that sense of, of desire and of longing, uh, a sense of worship, essentially, are worshipping themselves. Then they go and take the fruit and they eat the fruit and sin enters the world. But why is that? Why did they do that? It's because of what they loved. They loved that picture of being in charge. It's because of what they desired, what they worshipped. Not God, but the idea of ruling. Not God, but themselves. And so the great Christian writer, Augustine, said this, My weight is my love. Wherever I'm carried, my love is carrying me. Sounds like it could be on a Valentine's Day card, doesn't it? But he's not talking about goopy, romantic love. He's talking about, if you want uh, worship, desire. My, my weight is what I worship. My weight is what I ultimately desire. And what he's saying there is, is, is like, um, whatever we hunger and thirst after, whatever we worship, that is like a weight that pulls the rest of life with it. Pulls my choices, pulls my habits in that direction. Like the archer and the arrow. That's what he's saying. Uh, fire goes up, a stone falls down, our actions and habits follow what we ultimately worship or love. And so here's the point. The reason that we keep kicking off our pants and putting on the old clothes instead, failing at godly habits, is because of a worship problem. It's because of something very deep in us. It happens if we've been aiming at the wrong thing, loving and desiring something less than God himself. Now, this is such a deep problem. I hope you get a sense of that, the gravity around this. Can you fix it? Can I fix it? I haven't been able to fix that in myself. Surely you haven't either. And I can't fix it for you. What do we do about this? Well, now we see why the gospel is actually such good news, friends. Which brings us to our third point. God reshapes our resolutions. After all, only God himself can fix the human heart. Only God himself can reshape this worship problem, this deep issue in us. Only he can take someone who desires and hungers and thirsts after and chases after and trusts in and loves everything other than God himself and redirect that life so that it's, it's aiming now at what it was created and saved to aim at and to long for and to worship. And he makes us, he does that by looking at us and in Christ and through Christ's death and resurrection, declaring, you are now a new person. He makes us new, right? A new self. And he does that in at least two ways. More than two. But I'm just going to give you two. First, he gives us new desires. Look again at Romans 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, right? But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So God is in the business of transforming us in our minds so that we think new things and we think in new ways. And one of the results of that is with this new mind, we might be able to test and discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. See, God promises to reshape our minds. First Corinthians talks about having the mind of Christ so that we can work out what he wants us to do. 
How do we live? What are the new clothes that I should wear? He gives us that new mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then why would we want to do those things anyway? You know, God might point them out and say, yep, this is it, this is it, wear these clothes. But actually, we want to stay in the old stinky shirt. You know, why would we want to do his will anyway? Well, it's only if we see his will as good, as perfect, as something that's, that's worth accepting. And so notice the end of the verse here, that we discern God's will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we see God's will not as an obstacle to the good life, but the only way to have the good life. That is the power of God. And it only happens when God himself renews our minds, gives us new desires within us. A desire to do his will because we know it's good. A desire to put on the new clothes and keep them on because we actually love the way they fit. These are the clothes that fit me now in my new self. I'm not trying to fit into to Zoe's onesie, okay? I've got clothes that are my size as someone who is in Christ. God is so good to us in this way, giving us new desires. This is, this is part of how he renews us, part of how he reshapes our resolutions. But second, he also gives us new direction. I wonder if you thought about this. The sad reality for someone who uh, doesn't worship God but, but worships something else, right? Is for relationships or money or success or whatever it is, is they're throwing their life away. They're throwing their life away. Right? It's, it's this precious life that God has given you, making you in his image, just throwing it away. Because uh, here's the way the psalmist puts it, Psalm 115, verse 8. Those who make idols, right, who, who worship something other than God is what that means. Those who make idols become like them. So do all who trust in them. An idol is nothing, right? An idol has no power. So worship it and you become like it. Live for relationships and you will find just how much people can let you down. Live for money and you will find just how fleeting and unsatisfying wealth really is. There's always someone who's got more. Live for leisure, find yourself restless. Live for achievement and find just how empty success can be. Live for an idol and become worthless, unsatisfied, restless, nothing. But in Christ, God redirects our worship. He takes the arrow, he takes the bow, takes our arms and moves us in a new direction. He calls us to come and live for the one, the only one who's worth living for. The one who made life. The one who is, is full of and in fact is perfection in truth and love and mercy and wisdom and power and joy and knows how to give good gifts to his children. And he's the one who invites us, rebellious children who keep kicking off their pants, to come and know him personally and live under him and with him. This is why he sent his son, to forgive us, to clothe us, to make us new. And part of that is giving us a new worship direction. It truly is the good life. And so what this means is that the gospel frees us from false worship and therefore frees us from the trap of old habits that used to run our lives, frees us to do new things in pursuit of our good God 
and to develop new habits that form a new self as we seek after him. New desires, new direction. This is the mighty work of God. So, here's where we end things for today, friends. Resolutions really aren't all that bad, probably, are they? <laughs> and not just the ones around fitness and diet and so on, but I mean, I mean setting resolutions that help us grow in the faith because what we do matters and our habits matter and it's all bound up really in, in who we worship. These are big things. And the good news is that God himself redirects our worship and, and so that we can do new things and form new habits that honour him. That really is what Christian growth looks like. Okay? Now... Where do we go with this? What do we do with all this? Well, one thing you can do is tomorrow, we're starting our new Bible reading plan, right? We've got these, these booklets here. And whether you're a, a Christian or you're not, this would be an amazing thing to get into, to, to immerse yourself in uh, who God is and this story that he's told across history, particularly as we look at the Gospel of Luke. You can get to know Jesus afresh, right? Start with us January 1. We're looking at Luke chapter 1 verses 1 to 25, tomorrow, all right? There's a habit you can start developing. Uh, however, I, I want us to go further than that. Uh, and really, this whole sermon, by the way, I've been doing a bit of a naughty thing. I've been setting us up, okay? <laughs> this has been a setup for the next few weeks. Here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at some of the core Christian habits that form a growing life in Jesus. And again, helpful for you, whether you're a Christian or not. This is the kind of life Jesus calls us to. What is a life shaped by new desire and new direction in our worship actually look like? How can we really grow and keep growing as a Christian? How can we finally put that sin that has been dogging you to death? How can we experience that and the joy and the life that there is in Jesus? Well, habits, as we've seen today, are a huge key. So we're going to look at three core habits they're called the ordinary means of grace. These have been things that Christians have been doing for centuries. And it leads to growth. So we're going to spend some time looking at that. Um, but what I want you to do, if, if you are up for it, this week, I want you to ask two questions each day. And these are questions about our habits, okay? Um, save yourself the trouble of rigging up Big Brother in your home and Truman Show and all that. But you just ask these questions in order to reflect, so number one, if we can get that there, Nige, please. There we go. What habits helped me grow closer to God today? Look back in the rearview mirror. What helped me grow closer to God? What habits hindered me from going, growing closer to God today? There might be things that immediately come to your mind. There might be things that are not so obvious. This is the way habits work, after all. They're unconscious. They just run like Eugene going around his neighbourhood. We need to intentionally reflect and look back. You could even ask someone who's close to you, hey, what habits do you see in me that you reckon are helping me grow in godliness? And what habits do you see in me that you reckon might be threatening that? Scary question to ask. Good question to ask. So, if you're up for it, over the next week, before you go to bed, here's a new habit. Ask those two questions prayerfully of yourself. You can journal your answers if you want. Grab your phone, just record them in the voice recorder. Draw a picture that represents your answer if you want. Tell them verbally to your husband or wife. Text them to a Christian friend. But are you up for this? Are you up for reflecting intentionally? I just think if you do this, you will get so much more out of the next few weeks. 
consider what, what the starting block is, okay? So let's pray uh, and we'll ask the Lord to guide us as we embark on this journey together throughout January. All right. Lord God, we, we do, because of your great mercy, we, we want to bring our whole selves to you. We just reflect that all of us have room to grow. Every single one of us. We have habits that need to stop. We have habits that need to start. We have habits that need to restart. Lord, we, you know us. You know us inside and out. And so we, we just bring ourselves afresh before you and ask that you would lead us, form us, shape us. In Jesus' name, amen. In a few weeks, we're going